Uh, I want you to turn with me into uh, uh, Luke 5, verse 1 to 10. Luke 5, 1 to 10. And I'm, I'm going to travel through this uh, Scripture in what, what's called an expository way, meaning we just travel through the Scripture. This isn't like me choosing a topic and then finding Scriptures around that topic. This is about actually uh, going through a passage of Scripture and letting the Word do the teaching for us. But uh, in, this, in this passage, I have preached this, this particular passage many times uh, before in the world of stepping out in faith. And if you've never read a book called Faith by Phil Pringle, I'd urge you to get a hold of that book. It's gonna help you. That's the currency of heaven. That's how God moves. He moves in an atmosphere of faith, not complaining, not sincerity, not moaning or whining or trying to do anything to get God to move. Uh, the only way that you're gonna find God actually moves is when you believe God. And when you say, I'm gonna believe God, you're tempted to complain, you're tempted to uh, moan, you're tempted to do anything else to try and get God to move. But faith is what's gonna move God. And so that's what this passage and that's what this month's theme is all about. It says in Luke 5 verse one, so it was as the multitude pressed about Him to hear the Word of God that He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. It's a great day when the preacher is so good and, and the hunger in the people is so high that it's a great multitude pressing around Jesus to hear, to hear His teaching, to hear, not, not to see miracles, but to actually hear the Word of God. And He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and He asked him to put out a little from the land and He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When He had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. All right, so here is Jesus asking a man to, to use his business, which was fishing and his fishing boat that he could stand on or sit on and preach from to a multitude of people. So I have found over the years that Many people with their businesses or with their finances have provided us, myself and Mick and all of our location pastors, all of our preachers all around the world, like thousands of them, with a platform from which to preach. Sometimes it's television. Sometimes it's a building, a stage. Sometimes it's podcasts. Sometimes it's Instagram. It's, it's whatever there. It's a Bible college but they have been provided for by people who have given and made sure that we've got a platform to speak to people on. And that's what Jesus did. But then it says He stopped speaking. He spoke for a while. There comes a point where we've learned enough. We've got enough knowledge, but I think sometimes we're educated beyond our capacity to obey. And uh, I think He stopped speaking so that we can implement what we've been taught. And we might want more teaching, but maybe He wants more action. Yeah. And so He stopped speaking and He said, okay, Peter, now you launch out on the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I like this because this is Jesus not abusing the idea that He's used your platform 
your business to preach the Word. He wants to bless you now. You've blessed Him. You've looked after Him, given Him your boat and He's about to pay the rent. Uh, It's not like He's just gonna use you uh, and then not bless you. When He says, I wanna use your boat, get ready for blessing. If He says, I want you to supply something from which the Word of God can travel into the world, anticipate that what platform you've supplied for Him is gonna come back to you in great blessing. He is not not a dodgy business person who's gonna try and get something out of you without returning it back to you. And he's, he's, he's in the world of abundance. Believe me, he's, he's Mr. Generous. So, so he says to Peter, however, it's not just gonna fall through the roof. You gotta go out and possess your reward. The reward isn't just gonna come. You say, well, where's my reward, Jesus? He says, I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So that's gonna take a step of faith because this guy has worked hard all night and caught nothing. It's been a dead end street. His business has not worked that night. Now, here's the thing. Jesus teaches in one manner, but then He says a specific word to Peter. And that's how God does things. He teaches in a general manner on faith, like I believe He was doing there, and then has a specific prophetic word of knowledge, piece of insight for Peter to act on. And it's, so it's where, it's launch out into the deep. It's when, now. And the strategy is let down your nets with the intentionality of for a catch. So so he's given him in a very simple sentence, three different elements to do with guidance. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've heard a lot of people say to me, God told me. Here Jesus is speaking to Peter. And, and I have found that sometimes people will say to me, God has told me because they don't want me to have an opinion about what they're saying they wanna do. They're trying to shut me down. And so as soon as they say, God has told me, well, yeah, as a young pastor, I'd say, oh yeah, well, how can I contradict that if you think God's told you? I'm sort of doubtful in here, but I'm not gonna say that. But now I'm too old for that. So I just say, no, he hasn't. He didn't say that. <laughs> he did not say that. Because sometimes we wanna do so badly what we wanna do that we're telling everybody God has told us to marry him. Oops, sorry, I shouldn't have gone there, should I? God has told me that I should start this business. God has told me that I should this. And I've had people ask me for advice. I've had people say, should we go to America? Uh, and I've sat in the room there and said, no, you should not go to America. And then I've said, but if you guys end up doing it, understand the relationship is still there. We'll still love you. They've walked out and said, praise the Lord. We got confirmation that God's told us to go to America. People hear what they wanna hear and will even distort what you are saying to them because we so badly wanna do what we wanna do. But understand, God is not a poor communicator. We, on the other hand, as listeners, maybe have a difficulty in that. And the fact is, faith and obedience go together. You've gotta synthesize Scripture, okay? So faith doesn't give you the power to go and do whatever you want and it's gonna get blessed. 
No, it's always gonna take faith to actually do what God has told you to do. So when God said, Joshua, go into the land of Canaan. Uh, well, all the other Israelites, they said, no, we can't do that. So they couldn't obey God because they couldn't believe God. But Joshua said, I believe God, we can defeat the giants. And he went in there. However, God said, I want you to take this land. So it wasn't like Joshua said, woo, that's great, God. We can take land for God. I'm gonna take India, you know what? And wander off to India. He had to obey the direction and the strategy that God had given him. And within that strategy, he was gonna actually see blessing come into his life. Now, God is not gonna tell you to do something that isn't gonna bless you. That's why you've got to trust Him, which means we surrender to God. And most people are nervous about surrendering the direction of their life to another person like God, like Jesus, because they don't trust Him. Like we, we have this image of God that He's mean, that He's miserly, that He's gonna lead us into something that's less than wonderful. If we wanna go to London and, and we think, God, I just, oh, I've loved that city all my life. I just wanna go there. But we don't wanna surrender our life to Him because He might send us off to the Amazon to preach to the giant pygmies, you know, uh, or to start village churches in some dark, deep place in Africa. We think that's God. And dear Lord, we don't wanna, we don't wanna, I've never wanted to be a preacher. I don't wanna be in the ministry, so I'm not gonna surrender my life to God because that's all that happens to people who surrender their life to God. They can't go off and make millions and millions of dollars. I wanna go off and make millions and millions of dollars. You know, so, oh, there's no way I'm surrendering. I'm just gonna go off and make my millions. Thank you very much. So we're nervous about God and His nature, but that's why a good church will tell you every week God is good and that God is on your side and that His only ambition is to bless you. It's not to do anything else, but to bring blessing into your life. And some of us live with a religious hangover of thinking about God as being this guilt-bringing, shame-giving, miserly, stingy, mean God. That's the other guy. That's the other guy. He sometimes dresses up like God, puts on religious garb, quotes Scripture and all that kind of stuff. But it's not God, it's the other guy. It's an ass dressed up like a lion. In the book of Narnia, you see this ass. You know what I mean, a donkey, yeah. <laughs> Dressed up like a lion, but, but, but he's got an ass nature. And, and, the, and the devil will try and pretend to be God. That's why Paul says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear because we need to know that it's not God who makes you afraid. He's a loving God, He's a good God. And so, and so here, you can surrender to the Lord. But deep in our psyche, there's something that also is a bit of a rebel. It doesn't like giving up the rulership of our own lives. When, uh, and and that's, that's when God has to break us in. Like if you get a wild horse, that horse is good for nothing unless it's broken in. And, and you can't ride it. You can't do anything with it. You can't pull anything with it or carry anything on it. It won't drive a plow. It won't, it's useless. And many people are basically, they wonderful people, got a lot of worth, obviously, but to God, they can't be used because He can't ride them. And God wants to ride us. When we first got called by God to come in 1972, I was a youth leader in a little church in, little, in, in New Zealand, actually, in Christchurch, which was having a revival. 
And I was one of the youth leaders. And, and we had a, a speaker come and he was amazing. And he said to me, uh, he was from Sydney. And he said to me, we need this in Sydney. And that was the Word of the Lord to me. God spoke to me right then, right there. And I thought, we've got to go to Sydney. I thought, I'll give it six months. That's a long time. You know, we'll just give it that long. And we took six months. Then we packed up. We, 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 and, and this guy, these guys said, we've got a position for you when you come. I said, whoa, okay. So we landed in Sydney, in here, lived in Taramara. And, and uh, we, we, we uh, had a hall at Kissing Point Road, uh, which was the kindergarten hall, I think. And we held a meeting there every Friday night and all these people started coming to Jesus. It was like a revival. It was incredible. But every morning I woke up with this peace in my heart. I wasn't in the will of God. Even though things were happening and all of this, I thought, I'm not meant to be here. I was out of step with God. Wow. I was out of time. Wow. I was in the right place, but I was in the wrong time. I didn't want to admit that to myself. But anyway, after six months, I said, I cannot live with myself anymore. I'm going nuts. I'm going mad. So I packed up my whole family and we went back to New Zealand. I thought, I'm so discouraged. I just gave up the ministry. I gave up everything. I became a postman. And I said, I'll paint. I'll do paintings for a living. I didn't sell one sausage of a painting. Not, not one. And I was delivering letters to people. You know, and, and, and that was it for like the next six months. That was all I was doing. And then... Uh, it was actually about a year and I was still going to church, had a little connect group, which was a complete miserable failure. It, it only grew from three to four, I think. And, and, and the, the husband would come home from work and he'd instantly go to sleep when he sat down in the connect group and we'd have our little Bible study. It was just a terribly breaking time. I had my tail between my legs. And then I got a letter from them saying, here's two air tickets, it must, you must have your act together by now. Come back. We'd love to have you here in Sydney. So I started to, I thought, this is it. God's called us again. So I start to pack up. We start to sell the house. We, and then I felt this dispeace on the inside of me. We said goodbye to the church. We said everything. But I, I thought, I am not going through that again. So I got busted again. Wow. You know, belligerent little sod you must, I must have been, you know. And, and so God, I'm I'm broken. I don't know what to do. And I keep on with my job. And finally, I hear the voice of God. One day I could virtually take you to the place where I heard God speak to me. And He said, go start a church in Littleton. Now, if I said to any church planter in the world today, we want you to start a church in Littleton, you'd be the most miserable person on earth because it's a tiny little town of people who've never been out of the town. But God wanted to send me there into the backside of a desert so I could be in the shadow of His hand. Come on. For three years we were there. But we were happy as pigs in mud. We were just happy. I was happy God was still talking to me. Happy that I had a ministry to build this church. And we didn't really build it. It only went from 15 people to 30 over three years. It's like, not like anything incredible happened. But, but I knew that God was working something in me. And in us, in Chris. And after two years, the Lord called me to go on this six-week preaching tour to India, to India with love it was called, with this preacher from Fiji called Nathaniel. And so we went and did this, this preaching tour. But as we went, I had to come through Sydney. 
And as I landed in Sydney on the way through, the Lord said to me, now's the time. I said, God, do not say that to me. (laughs) Because I have given it up. It's gone. We've thrown it away. We're not ever coming to Sydney. He said, no, now's the time. I said, do you realise how difficult you are to get along with? (laughs) When I want to go, you don't want me to go. And now I've said, I don't want to go. Now you want me to go. I mean, how do we line this up? He says, it's called obedience. I'm called your Lord. And when I speak to you, I'm anticipating that you'll do what I say. So finally, I got broken to God. And I, people learn obedience. Even Jesus, I think it's Hebrews 5.8. It says He learned obedience by the things He suffered. And you may have gone through some very terrible times, difficult times, And I can give you a list of the kinds of trials that are in the making of a man of God or a woman of God. There's there's about 20 of them, different trials. One thing you want never to say is if I can get through that, I can get through anything. Never say that. God is listening. And He's got a monster up there called anything. So you will travel through things that are the making of you. But God who has started a good work in you will complete it. The fact that He has begun it is a pledge that He will complete it. He wouldn't have started it if He wasn't gonna finish it. And so He starts this work, He starts moulding you, taking you through some incredibly challenging times. And you can hear about a trial and go, yeah, oh, well, that's great, that teaching about trials. And then it actually happens in real life. Things that just, you think, How could this have ever happened? But you find yourself in the middle of God bringing you to do what He said. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep. Simon had a problem with it, but he did it anyway, which is an awesome way to be. So here, understand this, that God takes you to that point of learning how to walk with Him, obey Him so that you can be led into blessing. Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand that God wants to guide you. But there are, there's these other areas of faith and obedience that come into play before he wants to, before you can actually follow that guidance. Because an expert in an area doesn't think that Jesus knows what he's talking about. I have sat with businessmen, a ver- a one very successful businessman uh, who was <clears throat> a big figure in our, our Rise and Build program many, many years ago. And we sat there and he said, you know what? I sometimes feel this inkling that I should do something like that. And I, my, my rational, successful, expert brain, because I've been in this business for years and years, made a lot of money, and I think, no, that's not a great idea. And I go away and I try other things and they don't work until I finally end up coming around after a year of failure and I do this thing and it works. I said, well, that's called the Holy Spirit talking to you, guiding you. When you pray, you need to actually listen for the voice of God. I wanna talk to you just very quickly about how to get guidance, how to hear from God, how to be guided by the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord is not voices in your head. If you come to me and you say, oh, I'm hearing voices. That's, that's weird, people. I said to my psychiatrist recently, is it weird that I hear voices in my head? 
And he said to me, my psychiatrist said to me, you don't have a psychiatrist. That's a trouble, isn't it? Uh, that's, a, that's a problem when you're hearing, hearing voices like that. Sorry. Some of you are still trying to figure that one out. I mean, like, what do you mean by that? Okay, so the, the deal is, it was a joke, people. It was, I don't have a psychiatrist. I don't, I don't, okay, just reassuring you. So, so, so it's not voices in your head. It's a knowing in your soul. If the knowing is not there, if that knowing is not there and you haven't got a clear guidance, then you take a step. You make a decision. And in the formation of that decision, the Bible says the steps of a person are ordered by the Lord. So as you take a step, you're gonna find some guidance comes to you. Now, when we, we were, uh, then as you do that, you're gonna hear voices from other people, not in your head, but other people will speak to you who you respect and trust, like pastors or ministers that have a spiritual life and they can talk to you and they say, that's God. And that is really important. It may be a prophecy that comes from somebody and there'll generally be a word out of the Scripture that comes to you, that God will speak to you through. But generally those three things will come into your world. And the third, well, the third one is peace. The, the, the peace of God is the umpire of every decision you should make as to whether it's God or not. And that's what I didn't have in those first few, first few attempts to do with Sydney. But then finally, when we did come, we still had a huge warfare when we landed in Sydney. Huge, unbelievable. I was vomiting every day with the stress, but I had peace in my heart. I was, the, the spiritual warfare was unbelievable. We were, I would wake up with, with depression, anxiety, discouragement, all kinds of things. And talk about voices, definite voices, like this is never gonna work. It's never gonna happen. You, can't, you don't open that overhead projector box. Just because you bought it doesn't mean it's, you're gonna have a church. You better take it back now because you're gonna, it's, you're gonna waste your money. Buy a typewriter, buying all these little things for the church. For what we, And every time it was like trying to open the box was murder. Just the static in the air, this warfare, this opposition to us starting. And, uh, and like I say, I was, I was getting sick all the time. I, I had a job as an insurance salesman for six months, uh, making sure we had money coming in. And, uh, and then the church, but the church was exploding. Every, every week we'd go there and the thing would be double. I'd go like, how did that happen? It's just that we were getting blessed. The warfare was happening, but we were continually walking through it. And eventually there's this a breakthrough of some kind. And we were in peaceful lands. You got to travel through some rough water in the will of God. Don't be thinking that just because God told you to do it, that it's all going to be easy. It's going to be smooth sailing, that everything's going to go just perfectly. The will of God, the biggest thing to have is peace in your spirit. And you know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you. But getting an external witness from somebody, whether it's a prophet or a pastor, is very important. That, that third time that we were gonna to come to Sydney and it was the right timing, I said to the Lord, we'll take a year of getting ready because before I'd been too quick, I'd been too impatient. So I said, we'll take a year. So we're still at our church in Littleton and over the next year, he kept talking to me like through other people that say, wow, 
you're meant to be in Sydney. I'd get prophecies, I'd, all kinds of things. I went to a meeting at a place called Living Springs and Peter Morrow was preaching. He was one of my most uh, respected mentors and men of God that I'd had in my life. He was preaching and as we went to sit down, uh, a friend of mine behind me, he said, what are you doing? What are you up to these days? I said, oh, we're thinking of going to Sydney at the end of this year. And he was just flat about it. He said, really? Oh, okay. And uh, went and sat down and, I, and it, it created nervousness in me. I thought, oh God, have I got this right? I really want to make sure, God, I mean, he should have felt that, that vibe then that, you know, it was God. And as I sat down, Peter started preaching and pretty well straight away as he started preaching, he was preaching out of Samuel about David when he had lost everything at Ziklag to the Amalekites who'd come and raided his city while he was away. And David said to the Lord, before he went out, he looked to the Lord, he said, shall we pursue? And as soon as I sat down after that, Peter's preaching full on. He's going, and when David said, shall I pursue? Did I not say to him, pursue, pursue, pursue? I said, okay, God, I got it. Because I'm going, should, I, should, I, should we do this? And, and so he kept speaking things like that. And then so that when we were in that difficult moment of obeying God, and, you, and you're feeling the stress and you're feeling the pressure and the attack. You haven't got a good subjective witness on the inside, but you've got an external touchstone point. Yeah, we got that prophecy. Yeah, that pastor said, it's a good idea. Yeah, we've got this. And so you've got your guidance coming at you from a quickening in, a, in an internal subjective feeling, but sometimes that gets messy. So to have guidance from without as well is super important so that we're actually following the Lord. This has been a long explanation of Jesus said to Simon, right? But I want you to know that when Jesus speaks to you, you're gonna know His voice. You can surrender to it. It'll give you peace. You'll need faith to do it. And you'll walk into a miracle of blessing in your life. Know this, that I think that plenty, many, many believers, and this is why I'm, I'm exercised, I guess, to speak this Word. I, don't, I think that there are a lot of believers not living at the level of blessing they could be because they just haven't listened to and obeyed the Lord. They're doing things on their own strength and asking God to bless what they're doing. But if you were to surrender, He might ask you to still do the same thing. He might just ask for a slight tweak because this same miracle happens later on when the, the guys are fishing all night and they catch nothing. And there was just a little tweak that they needed in their, in their fishing strategy. Do you know what it was? Put the net over the other side of the boat. Wow. What's that about? Wow. I mean, as if there's a lot of difference between there and there in terms of fish. But apparently, obedience brings blessing. Apparently, if you just do what the Lord is telling you to do, it may be the smallest tweak in your business. Keep doing the same thing, but just make this little adjustment. You'll find blessing. But however, in this one, it's a big change. Because he says to Peter, launch out into the deep, step out. 
and let down your nets for a catch. All right. They'd been washing and cleaning their nets. The nets are networks. The network of relationships in our churches, connect groups, women's groups, Bible college groups. All the groups are networks. Networks are, I got somebody at this side of my life, fellowshipping with them, fellowshipping with them. Somebody I'm responsible to, my connect group leader, my pastor, somebody I'm responsible for that I'm leading, that I'm picking up and taking home and taking to the dentist and, uh, and looking after. And your connect group becomes a net that, that embraces a brother and he feels the love and it works. And that's what it is. It's a love network. And, and so the, and the idea is to drop those nets into the deep with the intention of taking a catch. Not with, and so if everything about our connect groups and about our church services and about our groups is to, to win lost people so that people can feel the love of God and they can be one into the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus was saying. I want you to take out your nets because He was gonna teach him a lesson about catching fish. So he, he, Peter goes out and it, he, he, it says there in, in verse, look down, to, uh, look down to where he does, where he actually starts going out. Verse five, but Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. One little letter difference. I'll let down the net. But Jesus said, let down your nets. Plural. Amazing what one little letter difference can make. His, his obedience was imperfect. It was partial. It was patronising. It was like, oh, all right. I said, I follow Jesus. All right, I'll just do what you want me to do. I'll do everything you want me to do. I'm just gonna put out one net. I gotta clean the things. I gotta get them unknotted. I gotta get them untangled. So he's unhappy. That's, I reckon he's unhappy. He's grumbling. He's like, oh, follow Jesus. What a stupid idea that was. In front of all my friends, they all go home. I wanna go home. I wanna have bacon and eggs, which is pretty liberated for a Jewish person. So I'll just throw it out here in the shallows. What would he know? See, there's nothing. I said the deep, Peter, out. You want deep? I'll give you deep. Then he's he's off out of the middle of Lake Galilee, which is seven miles wide. He's three and a half miles out. Is this deep enough? And throws out the net. He says, see, there are no fish out here. Suddenly he looks down. There's a huge school of barracuda. Just then there's a school of snapper coming in there. Then there's porpoises. Then there's a big orca whale sticking its nose in there. There's, there's geese flying in there out of the sky. The whole net is getting blasted with, that's, that's a little exaggerated. Anyway, I'm just getting carried away. The net is full. It is so full it is breaking. If he had put down nets, he wouldn't have this breaking problem now. That's why we need as many connect groups as we possibly can get for a coming revival. But here it is. It was breaking the net. So he calls another boat. He says, this is too many fish. We're, we're sinking. And so he pours all the fish in his boat. And then he, he, he pours the rest of the fish in the other boat and both boats start sinking. Both boats start sinking. That's the biggest catch Peter ever had in his life. 
The biggest thing that could ever have happened in his business happened on that day. You never wanna think that Jesus doesn't wanna bless your business. That wasn't, that wasn't like a spiritual thing. That was his business, was catching fish. And he helped them have the biggest catch he had ever had in his whole life. That's Jesus' nature. He can't do things halfway. Even if he tried, it's always gonna be more than enough. He tries to feed 25,000 people. And I mean, there are basketfuls left over. He tries to supply some wine at a wedding. And it's just, you know, like 180 gallons of it, of the best wine. Some people have got this miserable view of God that whatever He's gonna give you, it's just enough. He satisfies your need, not your greed. Just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's good theology, people. I know he's not gonna, he doesn't like greed, but I tell you, he's an abundant God. He is never gonna supply just a little bit. Now, Peter falls to his knees and says, Dear God, I'm so sorry. I didn't believe this could ever happen. I'm a sinner. I can guarantee you that if, if they had just pulled up two fish, Peter would not have gotten on his knees. It was, it was the sheer abundance of fish that he caught after failing in that area of his business that night that he saw this and he thought, how could that ever happen? How could I ever sell that many houses? How could I ever sell that much insurance? How could I ever have this many clients for my financial business? How could I ever have seen this many people come into my restaurant? How could this have ever, God's plan is huge blessing that you never have an empty table in your restaurant, that you never have an empty chair in your dentist place, that you, that you never have an empty cash register in your coffee cart thing, that you never have any lack of heads of hair to cut in your hairdressing salon. God wants you to be blessed and to have 20 hair salons to franchise McDonald's hairdressing. Amen. <laughs> the hamburger cut. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Two buns on the side of your head. We'll call it the Princess Leah cut. Whatever. All I'm saying to you is that it brought Peter to his knees in astonishment at how good God is when you surrender to Him, step out in faith, even though you've got some misgivings, some doubts, some anxiety. He said, we've worked hard all night, caught nothing. Ah, nevertheless, I'll take a shot. I'll go. None of the others did, but he went out and he had this catch. At the end of the day, Jesus said to Peter, He said, Pete, this actually isn't about fishing. I know that's pretty amazing what just happened. He said, but actually, throughout the centuries to come, there's gonna be a lot of people who will work hard all night and catch no one. Be a lot of churches that are trying to reach the last. Be a lot of groups that wanna bring people in. If they'll follow me, if they'll listen to my voice, and if they'll actually step out in faith, 
they'll win souls for Christ. Fear not, from henceforth you'll catch men. I have a feeling that there were 3,000 fish in that net that day. Because on the day Peter stood up, 3,000 people came to Christ. He got a visual image that would never leave his mind. Every time he stood up to preach, he would see those fish pouring into the boat. Every time he stood up, I'm a useless fisherman. Mick Sabat can tell you that. I have been fishing with him. I've had a fish on the line and lost it. Another fish on the line, lost it. Hartley Taylor, make you sick. Pulling them in, pulling them in. But before we came to Australia, Chris reminded me the other day, we went out to a friend's place at a place called Diamond Head, Diamond Bay, I think it was. And he said, let's go fishing. And he took his boat out and he had a white dot on a rock and another white dot on a rock. And he looked at his watch. This is the time. This is the tide. We just keep these triangulate on those two dots. We sit here. And, And he just started putting hooks on these lines. Hooks. I mean, like 20 hooks on a line. He said, okay, let's go fishing. I said, where's the bait? He says, you don't need bait. These fish will bite in anything. We put them down and you'd feel the line. Bang, 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 hits. And you just wheel them in. Within 30 minutes, we had a rubbish tin full of fish. He said, let's go. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, I'm the worst fisherman in the world. And I just caught a, a bucket load, a rubbish tin full of fish. That was prophetic about us coming to Sydney. I have no doubt at all about it. Because every time in our churches, every weekend, not in every service, but every weekend, we will see literally thousands of people coming to Christ all around the world. And that is how we've built C3. Not through people coming just from other churches. They do. And other churches join our movement sometimes. But mostly it's through birthing, through new people coming to Christ. I'm going to pray here tonight for your business to be blessed. But I've just explained to you tonight the strategy and the pathway that blessing can come into your life. I think sometimes we want God to bless what we want to do. And I think if we would come to a place of surrender and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because that's what He's going to bless. That's when I'm going to have power. Some people I, I meet, they're exhausted in life. I say, are you doing the will of God? He said, I don't know. Are you doing your will? Yeah, I am doing what I want to do. Well, let's, if you're doing what you want to do, you're relying on your power. But when you start to do what God wants you to do, you get power from another source. I work pretty hard. I'm just under 70 years old, people. Amen. I'm just, just knocking on the door. And people go, no, how could that be? I am doing the will of God. And I get oil on my life. I've, need, I've met 35-year-olds who are older than me. They're tired, they're bored, they're oh, I need a break. I mean, preachers who got to have a whole Monday off when they preach for half an hour on a Sunday morning. Oh, so hard. I mean, we do five meetings a day sometimes. And I'm, I'm still feeling okay, you know, like I'm feeling good. And uh, we meet all sorts of trials and troubles and difficulties. But if you're in the will of God, you're anointed. You have a strength and ability to fulfill all that God has got for you. 
More than that, you're going to see great blessing. God wants to bless your life. I have proven to myself that I can't do all the things that I'm doing today. I have failed at every single one of them, maybe more than once. But in growing churches, getting people saved, preaching for response, having miracles happen, all of those things. I've proven that when I'm doing it in, me, in my strength, it doesn't work at all. But when you've got God on your side and you're doing what He has told, told you to do and not doing the things that He's not told you not to do. I find as a Christian leader with a big organisation, I am approached by every Christian organisation in Australia for money, for people to turn up at things. And there's a lot of guilt that goes with it. Like if you don't, what kind of a Christian are you? What kind of movement for you if you won't join with us and do this thing and join with us. Why aren't you on the 40-day famine? Why aren't you on the 24-hour famine? Why aren't you supporting this missionary? You must be backslidden. And we've been called backslidden because we won't get involved in certain crusades or certain, oh, those backslidden C3 crowd as if, as if they call themselves Christians because they won't get in this thing. But I've got to do the will of God and manage my resources. I can't be sending all our people off to this and all our money off to that and all our time off to that and expect to fulfil what God has called us to do. So knowing what the will of God is, is as much about knowing what not to do as it is about what to do. And when I am going out with my nets to where the deep is for my world, for what we're called to do, we put down our nets and we do exactly what God has called us to do. I don't run around with my boat trying to get nets out everywhere else. I say, I'll do what Jesus has called us to do. Then you're gonna find great blessing on your business. This isn't just about church life. This is about your world, your job. And if you say, Lord, I surrender my life to you, trust Him. You're gonna find He'll guide you. If you don't hear something, then just keep on going, doing what you're doing. I find His silence quite reassuring. If I'm driving my car and the GPS isn't talking, I know I'm on the right track. As soon as I, I get you know, belligerent and say, I know a better route than this thing. And I take a left turn and says, do a U-turn. I said, no, I'm not doing a U-turn. You go f- further on down, it says, do a U-turn. And then, then it shows you all this stupid way of getting back on the freeway. No, I'm not going that way. And then you keep on going. And then finally it reroutes you. It says, okay, we've got a new route for you. It talks to you when you're off course. God will talk to you with a voice behind you. That's not the way. Walk in this way. This is the path. Walk in it. And all of us have a path that God has got for us for a season, for a time, in a particular area. And we need to follow that and you'll get the peace of God. I love the peace of God. You don't even know when you've got it, but you know when you haven't. When you lose that peace, you go, oh. And, and sometimes the peace is from not doing something that He's told you to do. You think, oh, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. But when you follow the voice of the Holy Spirit and you walk in the Spirit and walk in the pace of the Spirit, it'll call for faith, it'll call for the step of faith. And when you take that step of faith, you're walking into blessing. Sometimes that step is to do nothing. I did nothing in those years before we got called to Littleton for about two years. I just stayed in church, kept turning up, just cooking, slow cooking, suve style, amen, till I was tender as steak. Tender steak. When I was a kid in New Zealand, tender, was how you had your steak, amen. 
<laughs> I can feel the presence of God here. I'm gonna pray for you here tonight for that blessing to come on your businesses. In the name of Jesus.